0: This podcast forum is brought to you to share expertise and insights within our integrated delivery system to help us improve the health of the people we serve and achieve world-class accessible care. This is Expert Insights. Here's your host, Melanie Cole. Many American men suffer from one form or another of urinary incontinence, and many people do not tell anyone about their symptoms. They may be embarrassed or they may think nothing can be done, so they suffer in silence. My guest today is Dr. Uwas Zaid. He's a urologist with the Carl Foundation Hospital. Dr. Zaid, before we discuss the types of incontinence, is incontinence, whatever type it is, a normal part of aging?
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate um, having the opportunity to discuss this very common and uh, quite bothersome issue that a lot of men and women suffer for. But um, in general, incontinence increases with aging, but it doesn't have to be a normal part of somebody's life. It uh, can wreak significant um, negative um, quality of life issues for people. And is something that we can help people. And in many cases, it can actually be a harbinger of something more sinister going on inside the bladder or somebody's overall health.
0: How do men describe this condition to you? Are they embarrassed to bring it up? Do you have to start that conversation? What does that look like?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And um, a lot of patients, you know, are quite embarrassed by it. They uh, can't go out with their friends and family or go to church or um, have any social time or, um have significant intimacy uh, uh, as well. And a lot of men just don't feel comfortable talking about it. And usually it's an afterthought to them. They're like, oh, by the way, I have this issue, but it's probably a normal part of aging, right, doctor? Well, not really. You know, and sometimes it can be a source um, of some other issues going on. So people do feel quite embarrassed by it.
0: Tell us about the different types of incontinence that men suffer from.
1: Of course, yeah. So in general, incontinence refers to the loss of urine without any control, and there's several different types of leakage of urine. Um, and the most important thing that dictates whether or not we do any treatment is the patient and how bothered they are by it. And I make it very clear that they're the captain here, basically, as well. But one type of leakage is something called stress incontinence. This is the kind of leakage you have when you cough or sneeze. And a lot of times we see this after you know different kinds of cancer treatments, such as prostate cancer surgery or things of that nature. The other kind of leakage is called overactive bladder or urge incontinence type of leakage, which is almost where the bladder has a mind of its own, and people lose urine because they can't control their urination. And this is the when you got to go, you got to go type of leakage basically as well. And then some men leak urine because their bladder is just overfilled. You know, they have a big prostate or scar tissue in the urethra, and they just can't empty their bladders all the way, so they retain a large volume, and water is overflowing the dam, so to speak. That's what we call overflow incontinence.
0: Then how do you determine the type that someone has? How is it diagnosed? Do you use a history or if they have had prostate cancer or they have BPH, does that send a red flag to you that this is possibly the back-end cause?
1: Yeah, that's that's a wonderful question, and that's exactly correct. The most important thing to determine the type of leakage is the patient and what they describe as their most bothersome symptoms. Because a lot of men and women are going to have a mixture of leakages. They'll have a little bit of stress incontinence or overactive bladder incontinence as well. So it's really important to give the patient time to talk and tell their story. And that's kind of where unfortunately we're rushed in many cases and we don't get a chance to kind of go over all the little details you know what triggers your leakage why do you leak urine what makes it worse what makes it better how long has this been going on for and then as you alluded to things like their past history whether they've had surgery for prostate cancer or colorectal cancer whether they've had a history of any trauma to the lower abdomen whether they've had a history of infections and kidney stones and things of that nature are so critical because all of these things Our risk factors for developing trauma and issues in the urinary sphere basically as well. So talking to the patient is so critical. Beyond that, there are some simple exams that we can do. Our physical exam is quite critical, Um, doing a rectal exam to look for an enlarged prostate or a nodular prostate, an abdominal exam to look for any scars in the belly and any fullness in the suprapubic area that could imply an incompletely uh, emptying bladder. And then your standard genital urinary exam, looking for any strictures or lesions in the penis uh, or the opening of the penis called a meatus or any abnormalities in the anatomy. Some men, you know, are born with an aberrantly placed meatus, something called hypostatius. These are all things that we look for on the examination as well. And then beyond the exam, um, there are some non-invasive imaging studies that we can do, such as an ultrasound of the kidneys and the bladder, um, if we're worried about any swelling in the kidneys or incomplete bladder emptying as well. And then lastly, in certain men if and women, for that matter, as well, um, we can also look directly inside the bladder. We can look at the urethra. We can look at the prostate. We can look in the bladder for stones, tumors, enlarged prostate strictures, and things of that nature as well. there's a lot of tools we have at our disposal to kind of determine the etiology of their urinary leakage.
0: When we talk about treatments, and for women we hear about Kegel exercise and pelvic floor physical therapy, are these similar for men or are you looking more toward bladder training or keeping avoiding diary fluid management? Tell us some of the treatment options that might differ between men and women.
1: Absolutely that's a great uh that's a great question and a lot of the treatment options again are dictated by the type of leakage the patient has so for instance if somebody has stress incontinence this is coughing sneezing leakage in women we often talk about pelvic physical therapy or the impressa which is made by poise as a, as a vaginal insert or a surgery like a mid urethral sling surgery well, in men, we have different options. So for stress incontinence, we talk about doing an artificial sphincter surgery, which is where we actually can surgically implant a sphincter in somebody, which is patient-controlled. We can do a sling in mesh, men as well, something called a mid-urethral sling for men as well. We can talk, uh, Physical therapy plays an important role in men as well who leak because they cough or sneeze. When we talk about overactive bladder or urge incontinence, many of the treatments for men and women are very similar. So, you know, in men, the unique component would be the presence of an enlarged prostate. So we do talk about making sure that that's not causing an obstruction and making sure their bladder is emptying out okay. But the treatments kind of are, there's a lot of overlap. The American Urologic Association has guidelines on how we help patients overactive bladder or urge incontinence, and it's basically a step-by-step approach. The first thing we tell folks is, look, you know, there are certain things that you eat or drink that are going to make your bladder irritable. This applies to both men and women. This is things like caffeine, alcoholic beverages, spicy foods, acidic foods like citrus-based things and things of that nature as well. Beyond that, we have a whole host of medications. You know, the two big families are the anticholinergics. This is stuff like, you know, Vesicure or Sinktura or Tropzium or Oxybutynin. And then the latest generation medication is something called Merbegron or a beta-3 agonist. And then for patients who still have ongoing urgency or urgent continence that doesn't respond to medications, or if they don't tolerate the medications well, there's a whole host of other options, something called Interstim, which is like a bladder pacemaker. We can inject Botox in the bladder, or we can do PTNS, which is a non-invasive means of stimulating nerves that go to the bladder as well. So we have a lot of tools in our arsenal to help men and women who have all types of leakage.
0: What would you like other providers to know, Dr. Zaid, about discussing this, bringing it up, even at the regular annual wellness exams, and if they're working with their primary care provider, how would you like them to broach the subject and and bring it up and get their patients to talk about it?
1: Yeah, that's a wonderful, wonderful question. Um, The first thing, you know, I think that's important to appreciate is how common this is. You know, some data suggests that up to 27% of men and 43% of women have components of overactive bladder or urge incontinence. The costs are upwards of $12 billion per year as well. But there's a hidden cost that people don't realize. This is the cost you know, in um, interpersonal relationships, um, outing social depression. And then it's dangerous. I mean, this could be a sign of something more serious going on. Bladder cancer can cause this. Bladder stones can cause this. Kidney stones can cause this. Um, so there could be some sort of um, something that's more sinister that's causing these symptoms as well. On top of it, getting up at nighttime has been shown to increase the rates of falls and trauma associated with that. So the first thing that and many providers already realize this, is that this is not a trivial issue. This is a pretty major issue as well. I think it's really important to normalize it, to let your patient know that, look, you're not alone. Many men and women suffer through this. This is a very common thing. And just because your parents had it or your grandparents have, have had it, it does not have to be a normal part of your life. It's important to let the patient tell their story. You know, if you give them time, they'll give you the information you need to make the right diagnosis. And then the last important thing is to let them know there's a lot of treatment options. We can help people. We can get them better. We can make get them drier, you know, um, as well. And, you know, it's dictated by the patient and how bothered they are by it. So, And there's a lot of resources um, here that we can help with, you know, in all these different domains as well.
0: Thank you so much, Doctor, for being on with us today and sharing your expertise. What great information for men and for their partners to help them to overcome something they might feel is embarrassing, but they should be talking with their providers about. You're listening to Expert Insights with the Carl Foundation Hospital. For a listing of Carl providers and to view Carl sponsored educational activities, please visit CarlConnect.com. That's CarlConnect.com. We hope the information gained will be applicable to your work and life. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for tuning in.